Hello everybody, Ben Rogers here, the Raptors Digest, coming in with a little breakdown, a little preview of this Game 7 we have coming up tonight. A solo podcast on this one here as uh, Riker's still at work, I just finished up classes and I said, you know, gotta get a little preview out for one of the most anticipated games in Raptors history. Obviously we've had a lot of big games over the last few years, but... This one just hits a little bit different. Whether it is or not the most anticipated game, going up against arch rivals, Boston Celtics, in the first ever playoff series we ever get into them. Obviously, they're not, you know, we haven't had a lot of moments against them in the playoffs, but this is the. The Raptors and Celtics have had a rivalry over the past decade or so where both they've really been the only two teams that have been consistently at the top of the Eastern Conference competing, whether they've made it or not. Obviously, LeBron has been the guy dominating the conference. The Bucks have had the first seed a couple years, but these are the two teams that have been the consistent top dogs at the Eastern Conference. So that the fact that we've never had a playoff matchup before and the debates have been happening, who's the better team, Celtics or Raptors, the debates of Nick Nurse, Brad Stevens, Kemba Lowry have started shaking up this year and then Siakam Tatum has been a debate obviously Tatum has gotten the best of Siakam in this series but hopefully Siakam be able to pull out the win but it's just been two teams that have been interlocked in the story of the Eastern Conference for the past decade and it's all come there's only one way it could have went in into a exciting exhilarating series that ends in a game seven we've had so many tremendous moments in this one with the og shot smarts just barrage of threes in game two that game six that i'm still trying to just process and and come down from because that was just a complete whirlwind and yeah it's coming up to something that will likely be even more just chaotic as a as a fan as a viewer whether it's a a close game a blowout or whatever the emotions are going to be high for both teams and yeah i want to get a little preview into it so before we dive into it and you know after that little long summary of the series just wanted to plug uh our our channel itself uh Riker and i have been trying to get up to 15k subscribers by the end of the playoffs and obviously this is a do or die game so maybe that the playoffs will be cut short but hopefully not but regardless we hope all of the people that have been listening um yeah we really appreciate if you guys subscribe to the channel we don't really plug that we plug the instagram and twitter and stuff but yeah we we really appreciate if you guys subscribed really appreciate you guys listening and sharing to your friends or whatever the podcast but yeah you you guys are the best but let's dive into this this game this game seven because i don't know about everyone listening but as a even if you're a raptors casual even if you just casually watch the the raptors as a viewer everyone i'm talking to is just amped up hyped for this game there there's you know the people that just kind of watch basketball this is this is two behemoths colliding in a game seven after after a game six that's hyped everyone up and no one really knows what's going to happen all the sort of previews and analysis from from the media and the states have been saying you know they don't know what's going to happen but a lot of them have ended up predicting the celtics will do it and i guess that makes sense considering the Celtics have looked a little bit better in this series for a lot of the games. I guess maybe not playing better in more games, but in the games that they do play better, it's been pure dominance, and I'm alluding to Game 1 and Game 5 in particular. But the the Raptors have shown that in tough, close battles, with exception of Game 2, they've been able to pull it out in the clutch. And this is the same point that uh, I brought up going into Game 6. The, the Toronto Raptors have to keep this close. I think... The, the Celtics have the ability, especially where they have so many offensive weapons, to really open up a game and sort of make it out of reach for any team they go up against. And the Raptors can't let that happen because 
the 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 Raptors aren't going to outscore the Boston Celtics. They have too many, even without Gordon Hayward, guys like Tatum, Brown, and Kemba, they can just go off. And then when they're all cooking and on fire and smart, and these guys, even Wanamaker has played well in the series, once they sort of get their games going, it's really tough to slow them down. And when you're down 15, 16, 17 points and the Celtics are confident, it's it's going to be tough for the Raptors to be able to bounce back. And we've seen that particularly when the Celtics have gotten really big leads. You know, we've, we've been able to obviously get back from 8 points, 10 points, 12 points. But once it opens up into the 20s, it's it's tough. It's tough. And now, I'm not counting out the Raptors at any point during this Game 7. But you want to be able to keep the game close like we did in Game 6. Because I think in terms of execution down the stretch, the Raptors have shown capable. That they can really give the ball to their top guys and and make plays, make plays in the clutch, make plays down when it really matters, and not get phased by the moment. We saw that last year with the winning an NBA championship, even without Kawhi. Siakam was a guy that really closed the playoffs last year. Lowry, obviously in that game six, game six Lowry was just a monster coming out into it. So I think the first key for this this game is make sure it's a dogfight. Don't let up at any point. Don't let the Celtics go on any runs because, you know, if you're maybe a team like the Rockets, the Warriors, you can go, go down big and then have the offensive firepower to come back, ride a momentum wave, and blow out another team. But the the Toronto Raptors aren't built like that. We're grit, grind. We're like those those 04 Pistons. Just gotta gotta slug everything out, and we can't let this game get out of hand too quickly. And if that's gonna happen, I think the key to that to that point is Kyle Lowry coming out with energy. This this team goes as Lowry goes, and obviously he's a 34 year old point guard coming off playing. 50 odd minutes game per game it's like 52 3 4 I'm not sure the direct number but he's going to have to come out fired up ready to go we can't see him hold back at especially at the start right the the Raptors the reason in the games the Toronto Raptors win Kyle Lowry has come out just attacking the rim whether he's making or missing he's coming out with that Mamba mentality that he's not going to let us lose and you know that that's what we need we need that from Lowry we need that from our leader from I'm going to say our best player He's been that guy for this Toronto Raptors team for the past eight years. Even when Kawhi was here, he's been the leader of the team. Obviously, Kawhi's a better player, but, you know, we go as Lowry goes. And I think he's going to be essential. And I trust Lowry to really set the tone early on in this game. He's the he's the most veteran player that's going to be on the court for this, this series. Obviously, Kemba's been in the league for a while, but doesn't have much playoff experience. And Tatum and Brown, although they've made the Eastern Conference Finals, they they don't have the same experience, a guy that's been battle-tested as Kyle Lowry has. So I, I trust he'll be able to set the tone at the start of this one and make sure the Raptors stay in it, and the, the Raptors will follow it as he goes. But the big question with the Raptors as this series has gone along is who's going to be that second option? Who's going to be the player that really helps Lowry out and, and you know, attacking, being aggressive? And Lowry's averaged 21 points, 6 rebounds, 7 assists in this series, 2 steals and whatnot, and... It's the second guy that we we really haven't been sure of who will who will step up as that second player. In the last game, we saw Norman Powell, particularly in overtime, just absolutely kill it. But unfortunately, in this series, he's been really inconsistent. You know, Norman Powell, he's been averaging 16 points on the season, but only 11 in this one. He, he shot pretty solid from three. I guess the minutes haven't really been there on a night-in, night-out basis. Getting 24 minutes, that's a little bit down from his season stats, but... Yeah, we're going to need a guy like Norman Powell. Fred Van Vliet's been our second leading scorer in this series, but is shooting less than 30% from the three-point line and you know 33% from the field. Tough shooting splits for Fred Van Vliet right now, aside from free throws, but 
We're going to need him to, one of those guys, to be knocking down shots and be a second scorer in the backcourt for the Raptors. OG Ananobi has been an absolute beast for this team, but obviously he's not regarded as a as a focal point scoring guy. Now in a Game 7, you never know what's going to happen. We saw Lou Dort go off in uh, the OKC Houston uh, Game 7. Unfortunately, they didn't make it out, but OG is definitely a better player right now than Lou Dort is, so... Maybe he could uh, have a little explosion there. Uh, Serge Ibaka, we're still not sure what's going to happen with his ankle. He he played a few minutes in the last game. They said there was no restrictions, but obviously didn't play in the double overtimes or down the stretch, and that will get into the lineup situation that we have. But Gasol hit his first couple threes against the Celtics in Game 6, so maybe that's a little bit encouraging. But I say all this, and I give all the little stats, the little breakdowns of players in the series, to, to bring up the guy that... That really needs to step up because uh, I brought up all those players to say, you know, they could they could come out big in a game seven, and that's why I want to keep harping on. You don't know what's going to happen in a game seven. We might see, I don't know, maybe Matt Thomas gets some run and then saves the day. Anything can happen when it's just one game and the pressure's high and all that sort of stuff. But you have to take into account what players have been doing for you over the course of the series, and that brings us to Pascal Siakam and. This guy, this guy has, I think people have forgotten how good of a season this guy had this year. Uh, Siakam had, was averaging 23 points, 7 rebounds, 4 assists, shooting 36% from the field on 6 attempts. You know, those, that's a great, for a guy that's not known as a 3-point shooter, those are some great shooting splits. You know, shooting 45% from the field, which is pretty, pretty alright when you're considering he's just had such a jump in usage and shot attempts and all that sort of stuff, and the defenses are locked in on him, and this series has just not been able to get it going. He has not been able to really step up to step up to the plate. Hasn't had many big games. Only averaging 15 points per game in the series, shooting 12%, 13% from the three-point line, 30, uh, 38% from the field. And Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, they've really gotten inside his is whether it's his head or they're just getting in front. They know his moves, all these sort of stuff. But when it comes to Game Seven. When it comes to the big moments for your team, you need your best players to step up. And you know, maybe as I as I just addressed, someone random can pull it out, can save the day, and all all those sorts of things. But Siakam has been a guy that, especially before the bubble, has shown that he is a, he is able to step up in the big moments. So you look back to the Philadelphia 76ers game when he was hitting floaters over over these players closer to the lockdown. Siakam, even when he struggled in games down the stretch in the big moments, he was able to get a get a bucket, be able to attack the rim, do a spin move, and get an easy layup. And in Game Six, this is what I want. I alluded to this on the post game podcast last night or the the other night, the days have just flown by just thinking about this Game 7, but but Pascal Siakam, down the stretch of that Game 6, he had a couple really nice moves attacking the rim. One time he missed a floater that was just inches inches away from the rim, but getting a good shot is essential there, and then he had a really nice hesitation and got a beautiful drive to the rim, a, a great attack, and just flubbed the layup, but you know, the finishes are one thing. The fact that he was making the right decisions down the stretch, he had a couple bad turnovers, but made some really good passes, played phenomenal defense. It's encouraging. It's encouraging to know that it isn't just the Celtics defense shutting him down. And in a big moment, in a game seven, we'll really see if Siakam can live up to that number one option title and, you know, kind of make up for some poor performances early in the series. And I just wanted to say all this because I trust in Pascal Siakam's game. 
I trust in his talent. I think he's being really dogged on in terms of his ability, right? He He's played in a way that you're, you're allowed to dog on his performance, critique his performance. No one's going to disagree with you about that. But people are sort of saying he's just a garbage basketball player now, which just isn't the case. You don't become an all-star star. You don't become an NBA champion, the second leading scorer on an NBA championship team by being a garbage player. That's just not, not how it works. And even with the bubble, even with not touching a basketball for a long time, the, the intangibles, your ability to finish, what you come into the league knowing what you're doing, you know, those don't go away. And yes, do I do I really want to see Pascal Siakam shoot a lot of threes tonight and those contested fades that we have seen him hit over the course of this season? No, I don't want to see that in a game seven, but I trust in Pascal's ability to get to the rim, post up smaller guys like Jalen Brown. Marcus Smart is like Kyle Lowry, so I don't really trust anyone posting up that guy. But when he has anyone else on him, I trust his moves in the lane to, to be able to happen. I'm hoping he doesn't try to do too much with the threes and the step backs and the contested shots. Maybe maybe he'll make a couple and they, you know he'll quiet everyone that's kind of trashing on his three ball. But I, I, I'd love to see Pascal Siakam play within himself, play within his abilities. We know what he can do. Continue the great defense, the rebounding and stuff, and show out in a big game that would that would be great to see and uh, and the raptors will need it the raptors will will need some stuff like that whether it's siakam or another guy stepping up and yeah i brought up a lot of players because i didn't want i don't want to dive into anyone else too deep because like game six you don't know who's going to really just explode out of anywhere but the raptors i trust their defense but the the way they're going to win this game is having other guys step up on the offensive end of the floor so that's going to be an interesting thing to look at see who comes in confident in big moments but We'll talk about the Celtics a little bit because Jason Tatum, he's been a guy that is obviously the the Celtics leader, but he isn't going off completely in the in this series, despite what some people might make you think. He's averaging about 24 points per game on 43% shooting, 37 from the field, so definitely not a horrible series by any means, but he's right around his season averages, and I think that's a, that's a solid thing for the Raptors to do, especially with the increased minutes he's played over the course of this series compared to the regular season. I think it's, it's nice to see the Toronto Raptors be able to keep him from really exploding. I and mean, by no means are we going to stop Jason Tatum. He's too good of a scorer, particularly in the mid-range, to completely shut down in his three-point shots and stuff. But the I think the Raptors have done a good job at just not letting him completely be comfortable and get what he wants because there's a lot of series where we see that happen from different teams. So I think that's been a positive thing with the Raptors. I like how we're going at Tatum. But I think the X factors are going to be you know Kemba and Jalen Brown. Right? We know we're going to get from Jason Tatum on their, their side of things, but Kemba's had some really up-and-down games in the series. Some games he's really went off, and then we have that game six where in 50-odd minutes he's only scoring about five points. And, yeah, Jalen Brown's another guy who started off some games just completely on fire and then goes cold, goes ice cold. And that was seen in game six as well. I, I'm thinking I'm pulling up mostly game six stats because that was the most recent game and you know that was that was like a lifetime. That was that, that game six felt like a full NBA season. <laughs> the how long it took and stuff. So but uh yeah, Brown, he started off the game on fire and then ended up shooting ten of thirty from the field. So we know those two guys can get really hot or really cold at times and I think a big part of that is the different defensive schemes we run because Raptors have tried out, Nick Nurse loves trying out a bunch of different things, obviously hasn't been as creative with the lineups in the series, but you got to be fair, and the people that are trashing on Nick Nurse, whether we win or lose, when the guys have gone out there, you don't have much wiggle room to try different things in the playoffs, especially against in a series against a team as good as the Boston Celtics. 
Boucher hasn't really been good. He missed a bunch of layups, open shots, defensive rotations in the minutes he's been there. TD's defense hasn't really been been up to scuff compared to what he was doing in the regular season, and the threes aren't going down for him. Matt Thomas has actually been a guy that's been a solid defender for the Toronto Raptors team, surprisingly. The, the least expected guy to be saying that about, but... You know, Matt Thomas, he's he's been a decent defender, but his three-shot has been inconsistent, which is kind of crazy to think about. So, you know, that's why I think Nurse trusted him with at least five or six minutes in Game 6. But, yeah, the Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, obviously he's an energy hustle man chap, but he has a clear, clear flaw in his game. He can't shoot threes. He can't shoot threes in the Celtics. With a coach the likes of uh, Brad Stevens on the other end, they'll find a way to just eat that up. The same way the, the Raptors ate up Ennis Cantor when he came in with his poor pick-and-roll defense. So it's, it's you know, Nurse has kept the rotation tight, but he's tried out a bunch of different defensive schemes. And, you know, when we run those zones, yes, I think it clogs up the paint a bit more. It's a, it's a better look, and especially when... A guy like Gasol is on the court because you know he's not—he's a great defender and in, in the rim and stuff—and he's not horrible for his size in terms of mobility. But obviously, mobility isn't his best asset. And yeah, the—it's just led to a lot of open corner threes. It's led to a lot of open corner threes for the Celtics, and that's really when Jalen Brown, Jason, T- uh, well, all those guys—the smart, their whole, the whole five guys that they run consistently in the series—they they start to get hot and. You know, we can't let that happen. And Nurse switched it up. He flipped the flipped the script on those down on the Celtics down the stretch of Game Six, running that completely small ball lineup, that Rockets esque small ball lineup with OG at center, Siakam at the four, uh, Norm at the three, Fred at the two, and Lowry at the one. And I know a lot of Raptors fans were a bit frustrated, particularly on Twitter and the people that was that were watching and following and talking to, but they didn't like how Tice got a lot of easy layups and dunks, but it really clamped down those those the the three headed monster I guess four headed this series monster of Smart Brown Tatum and Kemba and they didn't get any low open looks obviously they hit a couple being the the stars that they are but it really helped shut those guys down with you know Tice getting some open dunks with miss rotations and stuff but now with a full game of being able to game plan that that smaller lineup being able to know different drop coverages to be able to handle a guy like Tice. I think that's the Raptors' best bet in important moments in this game. I think, you know, if you're going to lose, you'd rather lose at the hands of Daniel Tice, see if he's able to really have that killer instinct to, to take out a team, uh, rather than, you know, Kemba with a, a big center matched up on him to hit a little crossover step back like we saw in Game 2. So I, I like that adjustment from Nick Nurse, and it was really on the fly. It was, it was really cool to see. But we'll see if Brad Stevens sort of comes out with another way to combat that because it's been a a huge game of chess between those guys, uh, Nurse and Stevens, in the series. So it'll be interesting to see if that lineup still works in the, the, the upcoming game. But I really like what Nurse ran out there, and he even ran a box one on Kemba for a large, uh, a solid chunk of this game, which took him completely out of his rhythm for the rest of the game. Uh, whenever, when I played, obviously at a much lower level than these guys in high school and stuff, I'm a small guard. You know, teams occasionally ran a couple box ones, triangle twos on me, and you know, as a small guard, it's impossible to score on. It's impossible to score on. And then, you know, if you're a three-point shooting oriented player, right, it's it gets you out of your rhythm. And that's what happened to Kemba when they went back to a regular man defense. It was, you know, your, your jumper, you're not in the flow, you're not in the rhythm of things. And that's why he struggled for a large stretch of this one. Now, it's easy for the other four guys or easier for them to sort of find a way to score on a box one. So we'll see if 
I guess Brad Stevens comes up with another way to attack that, but those are the lineups for Game 6. They're probably miles ahead of all of us just breaking down the games and stuff, but I don't know, man. It feels like this is just a ramble, and this is sort of how my brain has been going about thinking about this Game 7, but wanted to get a few thoughts out there. I was only thinking about making this quick solo podcast. It's usually tough to talk for 20 minutes, but... Yeah, no, this game, you could probably go on forever about it, all the possible permutations of what could happen. But yeah, you guys are the best for making this far. Check out the Twitter, the Instagram, all the cool stuff. Got an Instagram live coming in halftime in this game tonight, no matter what the outcome is going on. And obviously, we'll have the reaction pod. But as I brought up earlier, hope you guys all subscribe to the channel. Follow us on Instagram for those Instagram lives. And yeah, I'm... I'm hoping the Raptors can do it. I'm I'm hoping the squad can come out with energy. That's going to be, as I said at the start, energy is going to be key. And, you know, I'm, I'm done rambling here. The game's coming up. You guys are the best. Cheers.